Good afternoon and welcome to 3 Tune Tuesday for Tuesday, September the 12th. I am your host, Bonaparte, and you are listening to Blind Skeleton Online Radio. If you're here, you have found your way to my quaint digital cottage in the digital countryside. Please do come in, make yourself comfortable. There are more than enough well-cushioned, very well-oversized Victorian chairs for all. 3-Tune Tuesday is my opportunity to share with you some vintage songs from years gone by. Before the advent of electricity in the music recording process, when records were still played on wind-up phonographs and the recorded sound was still magical. It was a slower time, and one that I invite you to visit with me for the next half hour. We have been progressing our way through the years these last several weeks, A few weeks back, we began with 1905. Last week, we visited 1909. This week, please sit back, close your eyes, and journey back in time with me as we visit the year 1910. In 1910, the recorded music industry was still in the midst of a transformative era. The phonograph had been invented in the 19th century by Thomas Edison and by this time it had become a household item in many urban homes. The flat disc records introduced by Emil Berliner had largely surpassed Edison's cylinder recordings in popularity, and it set the stage for the dominance of the 78 RPM disc that would last for decades. This particular period saw a surge in the commercialization of music. Record companies... Recognizing the potential of the market, began scouting and recording a diverse range of artists, from opera singers to folk musicians. This democratization of music allowed for a broader spectrum of genres and artists to gain recognition, bridging gaps between various cultural and socioeconomic groups. The impact on culture at the time was profound. For the first time, people could listen to their favorite songs in the comfort of their own homes without needing to attend a live performance. This not only made music more accessible, but also fostered a a sense of shared cultural experience. Songs recorded during this era often became nationwide hits, uniting listeners from coast to coast. Moreover, the ability to record and playback music played a pivotal role in preserving the sounds of the time. Regional music styles, which might have been lost to time otherwise, were now captured and immortalized on disc. This was particularly significant for genres like the blues, which found a wider audience through these recordings. In essence, 1910 was a time when the recorded music industry was not just about entertainment, It was about capturing and sharing the cultural zeitgeist of an era. The songs from this year offer a window into the sounds, sentiments, and a soul of a world that was discovering the magic of recorded sound. 
The Soldier's Chorus from Faust is one of the most recognizable and rousing pieces from Charles Gnod's opera Faust. It appears in Act 4 and is sung by returning soldiers, celebrating the glory and honor of war and the camaraderie of military life. The chorus is characterized by its robust melodies, rhythmic precision, and triumphant spirit, capturing the essence of valor and pride. The opera itself, Faust, is in five acts, with music by Charles Gounod and a French libretto by Jules Barbier. Premiered in 1859, the opera is based on Johann Wolfgang von Goethe's tragic play, Faust, Part One. The story revolves around the aging scholar, the aging scholar, Faust, who, disillusioned with life, makes a pact with the devil, Mephistopheles. In exchange for youth, he promises his soul to the devil. The opera delves deep into themes of love, temptation, and redemption, with the music beautifully encapsulating the emotional depth and complexity of the narrative. This version of the song is performed by Arthur Pryor's band, which was one of the premier musical ensembles of the early 20th century. The band was led by trombonist and conductor Arthur Pryor. It was known for its very well-done virtuosic performances and diverse repertoire. Pryor was originally the assistant conductor and solo trombonist for John Philip Sousa and his band, which was formed in 1903. With a, with a flair for both classical and popular music, Arthur Pryor's band made numerous recordings, leaving an indelible mark on the American music scene. In their rendition of the Soldier's Chorus, Arthur Pryor's band brings a unique blend of precision and passion. While the original opera version is sung by a male chorus, Pryor's instrumental adaptation captures the essence of the piece with dynamic brass and woodwind arrangements. The band's interpretation emphasizes the triumphant and celebratory nature of the chorus, making it resonate with listeners even without the vocal component.
before we move on to our next song of the day, I'd like to take a moment to talk about another type of artistry, and that is the art of coffee roasting. If you are a coffee enthusiast like I am, I do invite you to check out Skeleton Brew. It's not just any coffee, it's small batch roasted coffee, ensuring the freshest cup every time. It is roasted after ordering, ensuring the maximum freshness possible. And if you're wondering about variety, Skeleton Brew has just introduced new Halloween roasts to tantalize your taste buds. And that's not all. Skeleton Brew does like to keep itself involved with the community, and every purchase made contributes to a cause in the Delaware area. A portion of every sale is donated to support the arts in Delaware. This month, September, and through the end of October, every purchase of coffee made at Skeleton Brew will directly benefit Opera Delaware. So do head on over to Skeleton Brew Coffee at skeletonbrew.coffee and explore their range. And while you're there, don't forget to check out the weekly recipes that are added, of course, every week. They are all around coffee, whether it is coffee or ice cream or cookies, they are all coffee-themed. Do elevate your coffee experience with Skeleton Brew. Madame Sherry is an American operetta with music by Carl Hoshna and a libretto by Otto Harbach. It premiered in 1910, making it a fitting choice for this week's 1910-themed livestream. The opera was produced at the New Amsterdam Theatre on Broadway and enjoyed significant success, running for over 230 performances. The story revolves around the antics of a French dancing master named Monsieur Chéri, who is trying to pass off his dance studio as a finishing school to deceive his visiting niece. The plot is filmed with mistaken identities, comedic misunderstandings, and of course romantic entanglements all set to a backdrop of catchy and memorable tunes. The Birth of Passion is a piece that encapsulates the early 20th century. As the title suggests, the composition is imbued with emotion, evoking feelings of longing, desire, and the tumultuous nature of passion itself. The piece is characterized by its sweeping melodies, dynamic contrasts, and rich orchestration, all of which contribute to its evocative nature. The Birth of Passion is one of the standout numbers from the opera, Madame Sherry. Given the opera's comedic and romantic themes, the song adds depth and emotion to the production, offering a moment of introspection amidst the lighthearted chaos. It captures the essence of the era's fascination with love, romance, and the complexities of human relationships. The song is performed by Prince's Orchestra, this version is, led by Charles Adam Prince, who was a prominent ensemble during the early days of recorded music. They were also known for their versatility, and the orchestra recorded a vast array of music from classical pieces to popular tunes of the day. They recorded on the Columbia Records label, they were widely distributed, and they were one of the go-to orchestras for music enthusiasts during the early 1900s. Madame Sherry and songs like The Birth of Passion played a role in shaping the musical landscape of the early 20th century. 
Operettas were a popular form of entertainment, blending the sophistication of opera with the accessibility of popular music. They often tackled contemporary themes, making them relatable to audiences of the time. Madame Sherry, with its blend of humor, romance, and memorable music, exemplifies the genre's appeal and its ability to capture the spirit of the age. The birth of passion wasn't just a piece of music, it was a reflection of the times, capturing the essence of an era in flux. As we gear up for our next and final song of the day, I'd like to invite you all to stay connected with Blind Skeleton beyond this live stream. Follow us on our social media channels to keep up with all things Blind Skeleton. You can find all our links at https blindskeleton.1. We are on Twitter, of course, Facebook, YouTube, and even Mastodon. 
please do reach out to us, share the good blind skeleton word, and keep in touch. We love to engage with our audience. And of course, speaking of connections, don't miss tomorrow night's Electric Dreams live stream at 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time. We'll be diving deep into the world of early electrically recorded music, spanning the years 1927 to 1937. Now, just as Three Tune Tuesday has been Wandering slowly through the years, starting from 1905 and moving forward, we're also taking a forward journey on Electric Dreams, and this week we will be visiting 1929. And for all of our listeners, uh, I would like to invite you as well to go check out the online database of the Blind Skeleton catalog on the Blind Skeleton website. Please do browse through it. If there's a song there that catches your fancy, by all means, send it in for a request. It's very easy to do. And of course, not only will you get to enjoy it when we play it, but we will thank you for your time by sending you a 10% discount off of your next coffee purchase at Skeleton Brew. You get to hear your song, and at the same time, you get to help us stay on the air. It's a win-win for everyone. So do keep those requests coming, and let's keep the music playing. Our last song of the day is one that continues our tradition of Rigoletto. We started several weeks back playing a song from the opera every week, and this week is no different. This week we have the quartet Bella Figlia dell'Amore, or Beautiful Daughter of Love, from Act 3 of Verdi's Rigoletto. This particular quartet is a sublime moment where Verdi masterfully intertwines four distinct vocal lines, each expressing different emotions and perspectives. The Duke, a womanizer, sings of his new conquest. Madalena is flattered and amused by his advances. Gilda, heartbroken, realizes the Duke's true nature, and Rigoletto, her father, feels a mix of anger and sorrow as he witnesses his daughter's pain. The ensemble put together for this particular recording is nothing so short of amazing. We start with Enrico Caruso, one of the most famous tenors in the history of opera. Caruso's voice was known for its power, warmth, and expressiveness. In his recordings, especially for the Victrola label, which was run by the Victor Talking Machine Company, played a significant role in popularizing opera in the early 20th century. Marcella Sembrick was a renowned Polish soprano. She was celebrated for her impeccable technique, crystal clear tone, and emotional depth. Her collaborations with Caruso were particularly noteworthy, and together they created some of the most memorable recordings of the era. Antonio Scotti was an Italian baritone. He was known for his rich voice and charismatic stage presence. His portrayal of characters was deeply emotive, making him a favorite among opera enthusiasts. And the fourth of the quartet was Louise Homer. She was an American contralto who was known for her depth and richness of voice as well. Her collaborations with the likes of Caruso and Scotti were highly acclaimed, and she was a regular fixture at the Metropolitan Opera. 
The Victrola label, as mentioned, was an imprint of the Victor Talking Machine Company, was really instrumental in bringing high-quality opera recordings to the masses. Their commitment to capturing the best artists of the day, like Caruso and Sembrick, ensured that the opera was not just confined to the theaters, but could be enjoyed in homes across the world. This particular recording of the Rigoletto Quartet is a testament to Victrola's dedication to preserving the magic of live performances.
And that was Rigoletto Quartet. If you enjoyed that, and I'm sure you did, and if you are in Delaware or nearby the end of October, do go check out Opera Delaware's version and rendition of the entire opera. It's sure to be a really, really good time. And that does bring us to the end of our show for the day. Thank you all for listening in and joining us during your lunch break. During this nostalgic journey back to 1910, I do appreciate each and every one of you spending your lunch hour with us. It's been a pleasure sharing these musical treasures with you, and as our time capsule closes, we release you from the enchanting sounds of the past and welcome you back to 2023. Remember, every week we have the privilege of traveling through time with music, and we'd be honored and love to have you back with us again next week as we visit 1911. So mark your calendars and join us next week for another edition of 3 Tune Tuesday. And of course, remember, tomorrow night is our first Electric Dreams of the Month. We will be visiting and playing songs from 1929, from the early, early era of electrically recorded music, where electricity was used to amplify the volume. Always a good time. Do be sure to check out Skeleton Brew Coffee. We've got a brew for everyone. Got a recipe that I'm sure you'll enjoy. And in the meantime, I do see sneaking in through the back door the story lady. I'm sure she's got a fantastic song. I'm sorry, a fantastic story as she's correcting me to share with you all today. Thank you all again. Have a fantastic day and talk to you soon. And now, boys and girls, it's time for The Story Lady. Today's story is one I call Casey at the Bat. Once upon a time, there was an important baseball game in the town of Mudville. It was the last half of the ninth inning, and Mudville had fallen behind by three runs. But there was still hope. The bases were loaded. Up to bat came the mighty Casey, who was also loaded. Casey was everybody's hero and got lots of jobs shaving on TV and posing for bubblegum cards. As Casey strode to the plate, the crowd let out a big roar. The pitcher pitched. Strike one, the umpire yelled. Casey laughed. Strike two, cried the umpire. Now was the time. The pitcher wound up. Casey gritted his teeth. Then it began to rain. Casey was so relieved, he passed out at home plate and drowned. Thank you, Story Lady. Tune in again, boys and girls, when the Story Lady will tell you what really goes on in prison. (laughs) 